Good morning, church. Quick introduction, in case we've never met, and then reintroduction if we have met. Jordan Chapel, middle school pastor. I would say extraordinaire, but they're way cooler than me, so yeah. Uh, freshman, good to see you again. I've missed you. Spent in the back row of all the high schoolers. I've missed you. It's good to see you again. You don't seem thrilled. There, thank you, Lila. Oh, there's some guys, right? Okay, I appreciate that. Glad to know we were friends. Um, so, uh, I want to tell you a quick story about, uh, well, I don't even know what to call it. Let me just tell you the story, okay? So, uh, me and Amanda are so blessed with the privilege to meet every Friday night with a group of friends, uh, and we just are all hungering after Jesus together, and so we dig into scripture, and uh, just we read some each week using the uh, Bible Project app, read scripture. So we all dig into it, and then come on Friday night, put our kids down, and discuss what it means uh, for our lives, and so it's been a real pleasure Sometimes we have antics before we talk about the Bible, though, okay? So we were uh, at our sweet friends, Josh and Tara's house, and Josh and Tara live in a subdivision, and Josh is way cooler than me in every way, but in one way is he rides motorcycles, okay? And so uh, I was like, Josh, what would it take for, for you to teach me to ride the motorcycle? And he was like, let's do it. So we went and grabbed his helmet, uh, which is like this old 1970s-style helmet, stuck it on. Uh, we get out in the road, not the driveway, still quiet, quiet uh, subdivision, still being built. I hop on, no joke, probably like 40 times I killed it because it's like the perfect mixture of like, so it like kind of jumps and then turns off. And um, I, I keep in mind, I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt and chacos, which are like strappy sandals, not a appropriate motorcycle attire. Um, and so I hop on and I finally, I finally get the perfect mixture of clutch and gas and and picking my feet up off the ground and so i'm 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 gonna use the word zooming if you'll allow me josh I was, i'm in first gear but i'm zooming down the road and i put my i pick my feet up and i'm like i'm doing it now keep in mind there are three guys from our small group standing at different angles all videotaping because they're assuming something's gonna go wrong it did um, so we are there, and I'm putzing along, and you know how subdivisions, they have, uh, their curbs are all set up in this really nice way, where it kind of like goes like this, and then just gently ramps up, <laughs> and then, then tapers off, and so I quickly realize I'm not going to be able to turn this thing, and I don't, so I... I'm not showing the video today because I'm redeeming the narrative. I don't want you to actually see what happened. I go off the, I go off the curb, and it comes down, and you start to do the wobble thing, and Josh's first instructions were, if you're out of control, hit the brakes and put your feet down. So what did I do? I hit my brakes and put the feet down, and Josh is, like, sprinting after me. All the other guys are laughing while they're videotaping, and uh, I'm like, Josh, you should probably ride it back to the house because I had zero control over that situation. None whatsoever. I think that's kind of how a lot of us operate in our lives. Now, uh, I, I think control is one of those funny things where it's, it's almost a myth, like total and complete control over lives. We can choose how we react in a situation, but we can never have total control and authority over any given situation. It's, it's just impossible. There's so many variables. It's, it's so complex that we can never have it. And so I think that's why it's so important for us to lean in this morning to God's sovereignty, um, because uh, we, it's something that we can never attain, and so we really have to rest in who God is and uh, how he structured and ordered the world in order to understand it. So here's what I want to do. I want to lay the roadmap, then I want to drive us there. 
not on a motorcycle. <laughs> okay, so here's what we're going to do today. I want to dig into scripture, talk about why I think scripture teaches that God is sovereign. I want to talk about some implications that are glaringly obvious for his sovereignty. I want to talk about how we're going to, how, what's the appropriate way to respond to God's sovereignty since he is sovereign. So, before we begin, uh, there's probably a lot of you thinking, I've never heard this word used outside of Queen Elizabeth, so what does sovereignty mean? Sovereignty is supreme power and authority. Sovereignty is supreme power and authority. And a quick aside, if God is sovereign, by definition, he has supreme power and authority. That means by definition, like, it's like when someone says, oh, these two people are my best friends. I'm like, no, they're not. You have to choose one of them because by definition, there can only be one best. That is God. God by definition, supreme, he is above all other things. So if you're holding something else, just quit. we'll get to it real quick here. If you're holding something else in your hands that is not God and you are expecting that to fulfill you, it will not because it is not, it does not have supreme power and authority. Only God has supreme power and authority. When we say God is sovereign, we declare that by virtue of his creatorship over all of life and reality, his all-knowing, all-powerful, and benevolent or good rule, that he is in fact the Lord of lords and the King of kings in, in absolute, absolute control of time and eternity. I love what David says in Psalm chapter 24. It's one of my favorite psalms of all times. Here's what it says in verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. So pretty much his painting with as broad of strokes as possible. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell on it. Everything that you see, everything that's on the earth, belongs to the earth, under the earth, everything is God. And you're probably wondering, especially because we live in such a like pluralistic society, who, who gave him the authority? Like why in the world is it God's? What gives him the right to claim that it's his Verse 2 speaks to that. For he has founded it upon the seas and he established it upon the rivers. The earth is the Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it because he founded it upon the seas and he established it upon the rivers. Something that's so important for us to note about verse 2. When an, when an ancient reader would have been uh, listening to this or reading it <coughs> or, or singing it, uh, this would have been such a like, Beautiful picture, not beautiful, but such a vivid picture in their mind because in this time, especially in this time, still even today, what is untamable? What is scary? What has rule over their life? The seas do. You send someone out to sea, you never know if you're going to see them again. You send someone out, you're like, they, they can't text you when they get there. So it's like this big, unknowing, un, unsearchable, chaotic thing. But God has so much power and so much authority, supreme power and authority, that he founded the earth upon the seas and he established it upon the rivers. God took all this chaos and messy and broken, broken stuff we see in the Genesis account. Where does it say the spirit of God was hovering over the waters? He took what was chaos and through his sovereign hand, his supreme power and authority, he took it and he molded something beautiful out of it. God has supreme power and authority. <coughs> Isaiah 40, 
in verse 22, it says, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. He's far above the earth that he created, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. That's how small we are to him because of his power and authority. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. He's got power and authority. Who brings princes, the, the monarch that we know here on earth, like that we see and we're like, oh, they have a lot of power and authority. It says he brings princes to nothingness. And the rulers of the earth are as emptiness. If you hop down to verse 25, it says, To whom then will you compare me, says the Lord, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these things. God, God created them. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. If you look up at the sky and see the stars, it's God who put them there, and he calls them all by name. How did he do it? By greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. If you ever get the privilege to hear uh, one of my favorite people on the planet is, uh, I said one of, not my favorite, one of, because again, we're absolutes here. Um, one of my favorite people on the planet, Jeremy Freeman. And when you hear Jeremy pray, he uses this phrase all the time, um, and it's incredible. He says, he's just talking about like the grandeur of who God is. And he says, God, the star-breathing God that you are, and I love it. Because like I'm not, I'm, when I speak, nothing comes out but words, but when God breathes out, uh, stars are created and formed and made. God is a star-breathing God, but it doesn't stop there. He doesn't just like create them and set them in motion and say, see you later, and he's not distant. He holds them in place, and he knows where they are, and he knows them by name, and not one is missing. God has supreme power and authority. So you already might feel some tension that's building, especially in, uh, in light of what Johnny talked about last week, because I believe without a shadow of a doubt that God is good. That God is good. Like the furthest and fullest extent of goodness. God is that and more than we can even think. And then today we're claiming that God has supreme power and authority. Isaiah uh, 46. Let's hop there real quick. In verse 8, it says, God's talking. He says, remember this and stand firm and recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Again, that's what we talked about at the beginning. God is God and there is none like me. Like him, he has supreme power and authority. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times to things not yet done. And here's what God says. My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling the bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. And at first glance, this seems like we are following a God who is holding these, these marionette strings and like manipulating and doing stuff in our lives. And then especially, and then it also doesn't make sense because like, we're like, I don't want to be controlled. It says God will purpose it and he will do it. Like what are his purposes and what he's doing? And then are his purposes good because I don't, like there's good in the world, but then there's also a lot of bad. So if God is 
has supreme power and authority, and then all goodness, how do those two coexist? And what in the world is God's purpose? Like, what is he, what is he going after? And I think we can find it in Colossians chapter 1. Okay? We're going to start in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15. This is talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We can't see God, but if we want to know God, we can look at Jesus because Jesus is God incarnate. He's the image of the invisible God. This is going back to the creation account. For by him, this is by Jesus, so he's, he's eternal just like God. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And this is such an important thing for us to remember. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. That means that we were created through Jesus, by Jesus, and for Jesus. We exist for God's glory, not the other way around. All things were made by him and for him. And if it's made by him, remember, Jesus is the one at the beginning. Jesus is God incarnate. At the beginning, he's taking the chaos that exists out in the world. He's taking the, the just randomness that exists, and he's bringing order and a framework to it. Verse 17. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Have you ever wondered? This, these are like shower thoughts or like late night you can't sleep. Have you ever, it's, it's the fall season, Amanda. Have you ever wondered why your ears don't turn into pumpkins? No? David, have you ever wondered that? No? Okay. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that like our world seems to be fairly consistent and while there might be evil in it, consistent and ordered and structured and Paul's telling us here in Colossians that Jesus as God is holding the framework that he created together he's before all things and in him all things hold together he's holding it together so you're not walking down the street and your ears turn into pumpkins to how he designed and created it verse 18 and he's head of the body, the church. So he's, he's in charge of us. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent being a, a, a fancy word for like of highest, most important. So in everything, Jesus is preeminent because he's, he's in front of or he's in charge of because, again, he's sovereign. He has supreme power and authority. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That seems like a, okay, you talked about how, how he's, uh, yeah, that, that's what I think too. <laughs> so we talked about, yeah, I think it's, I think it's op optimized too. Um, so we talked about how, uh, we talked about how God, or Jesus is God incarnate, Okay. Jesus is God incarnate, and we know this for in verse 19, for in him the fullness of God was, was pleased to dwell. 
The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And this is how Jesus, he's 100% man, because he took on the stuff that we walk through, but he's also at the same time the fullness of God, God incarnate. And verse 20 is where it gets good. We talked about, like, what is God's purpose and what, like, what are we working towards? If God's doing all this stuff, I don't want to be a marionette in a puppet show. Like, what is he doing? And I think we see it in verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I love I love what Eugene Peterson, he, he's the one who, uh, who uh, translated, made the paraphrase, uh, is the message Bible. So he took the, the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic text, and he, um, he just went and said, okay, I'm doing this for my church. I want them to understand scripture in modern day language. I'll take the text. I'm not trying to write a new Bible. I'm just trying to take the text and explain it to them how I would. So here's what he says in verses 18 and 20. Talking about Jesus again. He was supreme in the beginning. And I love, I love this picture. Because it talks about his preeminence. It says, he's leading the resurrection parade. He was supreme in the beginning, and he's leading the resurrection parade. And I love that because the resurrection parade just makes me think of such a joyous occasion. And what a joyous occasion as God is reconciling all things to himself, that Jesus is grand marshal of the resurrection parade out in front. He was resurrected from the dead. He went before us, and because he went before us, we now have the opportunity to experience new life and resurrection and reconciliation. So he's supreme in the beginning, and he's leading the resurrection parade. And then he's supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place without crowding. There's, there's room enough for all of creation. Not only that. And this, this is reconciliation, and I, I wanted to use this because his wording is so good. This is reconciliation. Not only that. So we talked about <coughs> Jesus, God, at the beginning, ordering and structuring the universe inside this framework. So we had this intended structure and design for the universe for how things should interact and uh, Romans tells us that everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glory, God's perfect mark. And when sin entered the world, that framework was compromised. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but the framework was compromised and, and it started to break. But Jesus is still there holding things together, but he's holding things together in this broken framework. So here's what Eugene Peterson says. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, this is what Jesus is doing, people and things and animals and atoms get properly fixed and fitted together in vibrant harmonies all because of his death and his blood that poured out on the cross. All the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe. And I can say that, and I know that you guys have experienced, like, brokenness and dislocated pieces of the universe. But because God is reconciling all things to himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross, they're getting properly fixed and fitted together in vibrant harmony. So God is sovereign. God has supreme power.
power and authority for all of time and all of creation because he's the one who formed and fashioned it and is holding it together. But I know we're, we're mankind, we're kind of fickle and we really want to understand things and rightfully so because there's like, so we have, we have God's goodness that Johnny talked about last week. God is good. God wants good for us. And at the same time, I'm here before you saying that God is sovereign. He has supreme power and authority. And these two things seem to go together like, that's awesome. God's good, and he has supreme power and authority, which means all things could be good. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look around in our world. You and I both see it. Things are not always good. We get glimpses of goodness. We see long stretches of goodness, but things are not always good. So the line of reasoning would go either... Either God is not good and doesn't really have those intentions for me, which we learned last week isn't true. God is good. Or God has no power or authority to do anything about the evil stuff that we see. And this is such a difficult thing for us to reconcile, to bring back together. And I don't, I don't, I don't claim to have answers, and I, I don't even claim to pretend like I know what you guys have walked through, because I know stories from this gathering, I know stories from this body that are just painful and achy and messed up and broken. The framework's been broken, and, and we see that in our gathering because we know the evil exists. So I don't claim to have the answers, but I, I prayed over this this week. I sought counsel this week. I talked through it this week, and this is, I'm just going to lay before you the, the best answer that I can give to, to why evil exists, why bad stuff happens to seemingly good people. And, and I hope that God meets us in this place and ministers to you. Okay, so God, creator of the universe, made the framework. There was chaos represented by the oceans and the waters. God formed, it, formed and founded the earth and established him on it. And inside of that, inside of bringing uh, chaos into order, God willed. God willed and gave us free will, free choice. Which means we get to choose to live our lives in whatever way we, we so desire whether it be to glorify God or to not glorify God. And here's why he did that. He willed us and gave us free will because without free will and free choice, it is impossible for true love to exist. Because if you go on the other side and you say, this is what you have to do, now love me, that love is not true love, that love is coercion. And so God willed and gave us free choice and free will. So that we could experience the fullness and the richness and the beauty of being loved by God and loving God. But when he created the world with that free choice so that we could experience that full love, he did so full well knowing that there was an opportunity for us to disobey him and for evil to enter the world. But he did it anyways because he, that love is so good. So when you see patches of evil in the world, 
I say patches because God is in the, in the process of reconciling all things to himself. He's bringing order back to chaos. He's, he's reconciling all things to himself. When you see patches, those things are not of God. When you get a diagnosis that just sucks, that's not from God. When a car swerves and, and hits you, that's not from God. When someone walks out of your life, that's not from God. When you see brokenness and evil of any sort in the world, that is not from God. Because God is good, but God is sovereign. And so when you experience those hurts and that evil, that is not from God. But God is not standing idly by. He's holding the world together, and he's taking all the dislocated and the broken pieces, and he's reconciling the universe to himself through Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection. God is reconciling all things to himself, and God is good, and God has supreme power and authority. And so when you experience that evil in the world, it's not because of God, it's because of people's choices to not give their hearts to God and act out of evil. And then it's a result of, of the Genesis 3 world we live in. Genesis 3 is when mankind first turned away from God and chose a path other than God's path. Evil is not from God. God is reconciling all things to himself. And so in light of God's sovereignty and in light of God's goodness, how do we possibly respond adequately to the supreme ruler and reigner over all of the universe? And I think there's three distinct ways that we can respond that's appropriate, okay? <clears throat> the first one is just, like, that gives you confidence to walk forward to the throne of God and just, like, bow down in worship saying, God, you are the ruler of the universe, and you are reconciling all things to yourself, and I'm just going to pour myself out to you because, because I can have confidence because I know you're not up in heaven wringing your hands. I know you're ruling and reigning over all things, and I'm moving forward with confidence because I know that you're good, and I know that you're sovereign. We have confidence as we enter into worship because God is sovereign. In the second way, I talked to, where are my mission trip refreshments? Okay. How does God want us to live? Open hands. Thank you, Emily. God wants us to live with open hands because he's sovereign. He's reconciling all things to himself. And when we live with open hands, we say, God, here's what I have. I only have it because you gave it to me. You created and structured and ordered. So here's what I have. I want you to take it, and I trust you with it. Because we know he's good, and we know he can do something with it. We can have confidence as we enter into worship. We can have confidence as we live our lives. We can live with open hands saying, God, here's what I have. I trust you with it. I know that's, that's so quick to move through the evil, in, uh, the evil in the world and why that exists. And again, I don't claim to have all the answers, but I feel, I felt it this morning when they were practicing the song. I feel like God wants to meet us in this place today. I feel like God wants to meet some of you in the midst of some like serious pain that's going on. And so as the worship team comes, uh, I want us to have an opportunity to respond to what God's doing in our hearts and in our lives, uh, knowing that he's good and knowing that he's sovereign. 
And so that response might look like a lot of things for a lot of people in this room. For some people, it might be standing and raising your hands in surrender to the sovereign king of the universe. For some people, you might need to come uh, down here by yourself and work some stuff out with God. Saying, God, this is painful. Whatever I'm experiencing, but I need you to reconcile it. I want to see how you're reconciling it. And for some people, that might be coming over and meeting at the cross. Saying, God, it's through your cross that you have reconciled all things to yourself, and you're in the process of that, and I want to meet you here as you do that. So as we sing this song, I want you to respond uh, however the Lord is leading you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, meet us in this place. Meet us in the midst of our pain and our brokenness as you're in the process of bringing all things back and reconciling them to yourself. We love you and ask that you minister to us during this time.